Hey everyone. Before we start our inaugural episode of the Regeneration Rising podcast, I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity, the Grassfoot Exchange Herd Fellowship. The annual Grassfoot Exchange Conference gathers regenerative ranchers, farmers, and sustainable food supporters from across the world to network and exchange ideas. In 2019, the conference will be in beautiful Santa Rosa, California from April 3rd to the 5th. So each year, the Grassfed Exchange Herd Fellows Program sponsors agrarians under the age of 35 and veterans under the age of 45 to come to the conference, not only to learn about regenerative ranching, but also to become a part of a worldwide network of brilliant land stewards, all working together to create a sunlight-powered future filled with thriving communities, deep topsoil, clean and abundant water, and vigorous biodiversity. I was a herd fellow two years ago, and it was completely life-changing. Not only did they pay for my plane ticket, my hotel room, my food, my registration, but I met lifelong friends and mentors. And it was just such an awesome experience, and everyone is so committed to building a space that is not only welcoming and inclusive, but invigoratingly inspirational. So I highly encourage you to apply by the deadline on January 15th at grassfedexchange.org slash scholarships. That's grassfedexchange.org slash scholarships. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast. We bring young agrarians and their mentors together in conversation around the challenges and the joys of life in agriculture. The average age of the American farmer is 58 years old and rising. In order to rejuvenate our fields and rangelands with a new generation of farmers, ranchers, and land stewards, we need to talk about mentorship. We need to talk about effective land transition. We need to explore what it means to apply regenerative values not only with the land, but also with the people who tend it. Together, we can build thriving ecosystems and an abundant future. My name is Ariel Bobbitt. And my name is Shauna Burhans, and we'll be facilitating these conversations. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. Hello, I'm Anna Jones-Crowtree, Belicus Farms, North Central Montana. Doug Crabtree, also of Belicus Farms. Uh, Paul Neubauer, also of Belicus Farms <laughs> as of um, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. How many, more, 1st, how many more hours do we have? 2018. Left, Paul? <laughs> a few more hours. <laughs> so I just want to really thank Paul for signing up to have our operation be his second big adventure. Or maybe it's your third adventure. I don't know. What chapter what chapter are you in in your agrarian uh, agrarian path? Uh, I feel like I'm getting closer to the nesting chapter of my agrarian path. <laughs> um I don't know. I've been uh, working in agriculture, I guess, now um, six years uh, and pretty much committed full time uh, throughout that. The first two and a half years of that, I should have been committed part time to school, but I mostly was committed to farming Uh, and then moving out to um, Colorado more recently for the past uh, two and a half years. has really been the step I've made in committing myself fully to living as an agrarian, starting to, you know, embody that title and think of myself as such. Uh, and through embodying that title, trying to envision a way um, to build a livelihood around 
that identity. Um, and in so doing, you know, trying to find people who can help me with their knowledge and experience and the resources that they're willing to share in order to make that vision a reality. And I guess I would say that's a, a brief synopsis of my agrarian path. Not very many details, but I'm happy to share those well, too. We're excited to be part of that next experience. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, Doug and Anna. I'm wondering if you could just um, maybe detail for me or speak more broadly on an emotional level about what makes being mentors appealing to you, because there's one part of doing the work that you do in my eyes, which is, you know, the passion for farming and growing food and caring for the land. And that doesn't necessarily have to involve anybody else, but you or employees. So what makes the additional effort and energy of being a mentor as well, an important thing to you both? I think it, at least at the beginning, um, you know, we started this adventure a little late in life compared to most farmers. So almost from the start, we've had succession or continuation in mind and thoughts of how, how the legacy can be maintained, not personally, but you know, we farm as an outgrowth of a stewardship ethic, and we're pretty committed to radical change in agriculture. And it it would just kill me, even if I'm already dead, to know that <laughs> that we had connection to had went backwards. Yeah. So I, I guess. You know, not to put too much weight on your or anyone else's shoulders, but we're in it because we think the world needs more farmers, that they need to be land stewards as we vision them, and that we don't want our efforts to go for naught in the sands of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it's not just about our efforts. It's, it's really about a land stewardship ethic. Like in Montana, you've heard me say the statistic, there's 18 million acres of cropland and less than 1% of that is certified organic. Oh my gosh, what kind of vision of the future do we really want to have? Like I want, I want a lot more neighbors. I want a lot more block parties and I don't get to have that right now or I get to have deeper conversations about land stewardship because we just don't have the people in the place that we're in. And it just seems like there's such amazing opportunity to build community community and think more about that. So that's probably the, the piece to me is to really have a team of people that are doing the, doing the good work of more acres under a more sane system. You know, in response to that point about community, that's something I've sort of realized just in the process of getting to know you both better. Um, and, coming to understand sort of the context a little better in visiting um, at Velikas is, uh, you know, my passion and my pole star is land stewardship and growing food and doing that in a way that combines my interests beyond that, you know, with um, just being a lifelong learner and all these things. But also um, in the short time that we've known each other and gotten to know each other better, I'm realizing that this there's this other work that needs to be done in rural America um, 
which has been so depopulated for so many reasons, um, you know, policy and cultural and um, economic. But um, those are places that like have had vitality in a community way and could be vital and like thriving in a community way. And I want to be a part of rebuilding that instead of being a person who thinks, well, I would move out there, but there's nobody out there. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to do, you know, and I feel like that's something not in like a weird messianic way or something like that, but I feel like somebody's got to go do that of a generation and decide that it is worth the time and the struggle and effort to be a person who um, helps to build something or create something like a real thriving community around the work that I think is my love made visible. And so I'm getting really excited too about the opportunities to do that. In addition to just learning how to be a farmer in the way that you were both excellent farmers. Mm, thanks. Well, I, I think I was reflecting on a conversation Doug and I had this morning about after we heard Will Harris talk and he said to me, like, man, that was, that's bold. And so, you know, I think Paul, for us, I think I, I struggle with, man, is what we're doing bold enough, given what I know about climate change, given how many system changes we need. And I, I think we're yeah. opting to be, you know, there's this balance between security and boldness. And I feel like if we could draw more people like you that really want to be part of that intellectual and thoughtful, heartfelt endeavor, then it wouldn't be quite so scary to be mm. so bold. Or, yeah. or maybe we just need to be bold first and draw more people to us that way. But mm -hmm. Go ahead, Doug. You're looking at me. Well, I enjoy looking at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're awesome. No, I think we have a real opportunity where we are. I mean, I'm, I'm passionate not only about agriculture and organic ag and changing the world, but I, I think we're in a special place to do it. And I spent, Lan and I both, but I in particular spent a decade or more looking all across this country at places to farm. And we landed where we are with intention because of the opportunity we see there. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about community, you know, there, there are really two options. You go somewhere to a community and grow or change it or you go to somewhere where there's not, and you can build one. And that's the opportunity we have. Um, for better or worse, there's not much of a community there. So you, we can either bemoan that fact, or my preference would be to take the opportunity to build community as we see it. Mm -hmm. I think it's really it'd be great to hear Paul's take on this. Like, how do you... How do you define community? Because I feel like even though, you know, our nearest organic neighbors, Jody and Crystal, are 60 miles away from us, right? But we still meet in town. We still have Sarah come fix dinners for us. Like we, you show up at Montana Organic Association and you get to see your other farmer buddies that you haven't really seen all summer or since the previous July, because that's when the last farm tour was. And that still is like a sense of community to me. I still feel like those are people I could call if I had some crisis and be like, mm -hmm. hey, help out. But uh, I think we've got, I mean, we have fiber optic now at our house. Like, how amazing is that? And this ability to look up the weather forecast and connect with each other in ways. Um, we're doing all of our apprentice interviews via Google Hangouts or FaceTime. And you, know, you couldn't have done that in the past. So I don't know. Yeah. I'd just be interested in what you. What you think well, about this role of technology? 
I think that's a great um, query, sort of. I was just having a conversation with um, another uh, Kavira Coalition NAP-related person, uh, Chris, who's the um, the director of people and culture at the Round River Resource Management, um, which is a ranch in eastern Colorado. And um, that's a great title, which he came up with on his own because he's a pretty brilliant guy. But we were just talking about this funny way of living that um, has come about from being in agrarian circles and like following the internship or apprenticeship trail to find, you know, knowledge and experience and doing so across the country in many different places. Like Chris has lived many different places in his life and I haven't lived too many, but I, you know, my dad has lived in three houses in his entire life and I've lived in three, well, not really houses, but at least you know, things with roofs on them in, in the past year, you know? And so that's a very different experience right. for him and me. He remarks on that all the time. But um, it's funny because I go to these different places. Like when I went to North Carolina or moved from college in North Carolina to a farm, or then from there to the San Luis Valley in Southern Colorado, or from San Luis Valley to Gunnison, Colorado, and now from Gunnison to Haver, is I go to places and thus far, I am there long enough, like an eight month or a year long period where I'm not going to live like a person in transition for that whole time. Like I'm going to get settled in and Mm -hmm. find out things about the place that I live and come to understand the type of people that live there or know them, if not understand them. Um, And you don't get comfortable and start to put in these roots with the full knowledge thus far that I'm going to have to pull all of them up and do the same thing again in a very short period of time. And that's an odd middle ground to be living in between being a transitory type of person and being a really well-rooted person in place. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to not being that being the case anymore, but I've gained some perspective about, I think I have about uh, what community means to me. And so it's like finding people who can share your experience and work, you know, meeting other ranchers or farmers you know, being able to commiserate or share joys, whatever the case may be. It's also about finding people who don't do what you do. So you can sometimes not talk about what you do. I have found this can be important for me. You know, it's nice to talk about like somebody's work at a bank or the guy who works as a county assessor, you know, it's like totally different perspectives. And it's good to keep myself in that world, the world outside of agriculture. So having a community where I can also be in contact and conversation with those people is really important to me. And then I think being in a rural place, it's nice to find somebody around who can be your friend and you didn't have to spend all damn day with that person working. So, you know, anything you felt that day, you can bring to that person and it's new and fresh and they can think about it, reflect on it and tell you the same about their day and just shoot the shit a little bit with somebody. That's something more recently. And, Gunnison, I found is pretty valuable. Just have somebody who's parallel and experienced, but just you didn't have to spend all damn day with them and you can go talk to them. That's a piece of community that's really vital. And I think the technology aspect, if I were a more technologically savvy individual, I might really dig Skyping every night or being on the phone all the time <laughs> with people. But I'm really a face to face kind of person. You know, I, gen- I generate a lot of happiness for myself and 
joy and good feeling from being in conversation with other humans around a table or eating food or in work, you know, so having real life people around to fulfill those needs for me. And hopefully I fulfill those needs for them in return. It's really crucial. And, um, that's the kind of thing I'm hoping to build, but I can also subsist on phone calls and Skype in the meantime, <laughs> I think. <laughs> We're about to find out. Yeah, yeah. Well, well we look forward to your help. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have a black party before the year's mm-hmm. out. <laughs> so one of the things Anna and I are, are really excited about in our relationship, business and personal that we're growing, is your commitment to a multi-year arrangement. And we've really hungered for that. We never envisioned mentoring to be a annual renewing yeah. um, experiment. And while we've we've had great uh, experiences and, and I think learned a lot from all of the folks that have worked with us, it has always been our goal and, and vision and hope that people would stay for three to five years and even beyond that. Once training is is done, that they would see some of what we see in in the place and the endeavor and join us in the effort. So it's really meaningful to us that uh, that you've agreed to to be a long term on a long term contract, and and we hope that's the beginning, not the extent of the relationships. So yeah, I guess I'm I'm interested in your perspective on that too, as you know, where you see yourself and and how how that uh, routine, as you called it earlier, is is manifest. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't want to spend all my time talking. I'm pretty good at (laughs) asking a question (laughs) next. Just doing it a lot, not the talking part itself. (laughs) Um, But uh, I I think my, it's like the answer to your question is a matter of like long-term trajectory in my life because I've been seeking since I can remember doing any kind of seeking finding something that I'm passionate about, you know, and that really gets me going. And I find that being challenged is one of those things like intellectually and farming and ranching and agriculture in general is really intellectually challenging. It's a thing a lot of people don't understand about it that I wish I could convey better. It's like, it looks like one thing. It looks like monotony maybe, or just hard work, but it really challenges your brain if you want to be good at it. And, um, so I found that, right? I found the fact that being challenged is something that can give me joy long term. And so having discovered that now, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I make something out of that that contributes to society in a broader sense? And so to do that, I feel like you have to commit yourself long term if you're privileged enough to find that thing that really fills you and helps you push your goals forward. And for me, that's you know, working with people I respect and whose work and experience I know that I can gain from in the pursuit of my own goals. And that's kind of why I'm I'm excited about commitment and being like visiting Velikas. I'm excited about opportunities. Like I've been tuned up thanks to the help of my mentors in the past to see like the potential in a landscape for different types of things and the potential for a landscape to grow healthier and more productive and also for a landscape to be a shared piece of something that is healthy and productive for many people. That is kind of what drives my desire for like long term now is to really explore the depths of that and 
not just root down, but out, I guess you could say. Well, that's super awesome, Paul, because I think one of the things that Doug and I didn't count on when we started our apprentice program is we thought, given the interest of this next generation in agriculture, that we would have people knocking down our doors for opportunities for enterprise development. Because land access is not our problem, as you have seen. And what we found is that there's really this difference in terms of ability to commit. And it's more about going to have an experience than it is actually rooting, as you say, both down and out. And I just don't think you can have a really successful farm or ranch if you're not willing to actually commit through the good and the bad and the challenges and the ease and the, you have to learn. It's a long-term relationship. And so I guess that's the other reason why I'm really excited to work with you and have you have that commitment because I feel like that's something that we need to figure out other ways to explain because I don't think you can be a successful farmer or rancher without a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of other system changes with income and lack of health insurance and a, you know, a bazillion reasons why, you know, yeah. new folks in the agriculture move from one place to another, but we have to find ways to help them root. Yeah. Well, for me personally too, I think it's really important to acknowledge that my ability to do that and all the work I've done since I, graduated from college and my ability to go to college is really um dependent on the privilege of my background you know Mm -hmm. so like I have the privilege of having a very secure family Mm -hmm. and a really supportive family and and that I think I can't speak for other people for whom that might not be the case but for me I've not experienced like that desperate fear that something might not work out and there's nothing to keep me from falling all the way down if that's the possibility, if that happens. And um, so I'm extremely grateful for that. And also because of that, I feel a real responsibility to push myself to do the most that I can in my work um, for the land and for the people who benefit from my work on the land, you know, because I have, I have a broader responsibility to pay back to society, all that my privilege provides for me. And hopefully I'm succeeding in that. I don't, always and I no one can measure it or I can't measure it personally for the bias I perceive but yeah I think that's a big piece of it so like structuring the way that we bring young people into agriculture so that we can accommodate the fact that not every person exists with that sort of privilege and is making decisions from a different mindset and a more risk averse one justifiably so perhaps and that to me is an issue of policy and like diversifying the pool of people we have that we want to bring onto the land and I've not thought about that deep enough to have any kind of response. Well, we we give you apprenticeship duties. So. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> got think, several years to work on that. Well, I, that kind of leads me into something too that I'm thinking about. And we were just listening to um, Sally Calhoun and Esther Park and Meredith, whose name, last name I can't remember. Storton. Storton, who were speaking about um, like sort of creative capital and financing for um for agriculture or regenerative practices on a larger scale and that's one way i see right where we can leverage the security of foundations or institutions or other individuals who are in support of uh regenerative sustainable whatever word you want to use agricultural movement to make the risk lower for the people who are doing the work right like as 
Sally was saying, like taking the risk off the backs of the producers. And I have heard both you Anna, and Doug talk about that a lot. And that's made a really strong impression on me. And also just like from all different corners, I hear people remark on how creative you both are and sort of pressing and direct about the need to make that change and how you really live that philosophy and the way you try to deal with your business partnerships and trying to push those relationships and push the boundary on how um, like food companies and mills and stuff um, relate financially to the risk that is agriculture. And, and so I'm just wondering, like, I don't know, what is it in your background you think that makes you really capable of doing that? Cause I think a lot of farmers and ranchers have a hard time asking or trying to be a price maker instead of a price taker. And I wonder if you think that's a cultural thing that you avoid by being first generation or, you know, coming back from a private sector thing or how you think you come to have those skills. Cause they're pretty evident to me and a lot of people. And I think that's unique. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Um, it's, it's uh, remarkable to me how, most farms that I'm familiar with operate because to me, they seem complacent and comfortable in their dependency. You know, for us, mostly out of necessity, we never would have been able to start what we did and wouldn't have been able to get it to this point if we had taken the more traditional marketing approach, you know, grow something, put it in a bin, then go look for a market even organic, that is the more common approach. And, you know, having started from scratch and having to sort of claw and, and uh, put it together as we went, that wasn't an option. So I, you know, I don't want to, I don't think I'm creative by nature, more by necessity. Mm -hmm. And some of the advantages of the off farm experiences, we made connections and, learned a little more about the the world beyond the farm gate, if you will. And that was our plan to begin with, was to leverage those experiences and connections to make this whole endeavor more possible and to build partnerships to, uh, you know, grow it. Um, you know, we never planned to have a 1,280-acre farm. We planned from the beginning to grow this thing and make it, you know, bring more people on and, and make it a, a meaningful change in the face of agriculture. Uh, that's our ambition and still is. Um, and I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface. Um, we're excited to have you and, and hopefully others follow you to, to help us realize that because it's bigger than both of us. Yeah. There's a level of like entrepreneurialism that, I mean, I think in general, anyone that starts their own business, you've got to be have some entrepreneurial spirit there. But you know, I think being able to put the pieces together again, like I appreciate your discussion about privilege and past experiences, and like we were both able to go to a really good school and have exposure to other ways of thinking about things and working in um, related but other arenas, and you bring that network and those collaborators with you and you bring kind of some other ways of thinking about things that you can put different pieces together that perhaps you can't do if you grew up in an agricultural 
place and this is what you know and so part of my technique is to always question like what do I really know like what's the prescription in my glasses and maybe I need to change that prescription so I'm looking at things a little differently mm-hmm. and I, I think we're also at least I am really driven by what's happening in terms of our planetary systems and I just see agriculture as a solution to that it's more than just growing food it's a it's a solution and um so kind of thinking about it in that context and yeah, then just really being open to what can come. Well, I mean, right now, not to correct you, but I, I want to say right now, agriculture as generally practiced is a big part of the problem. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. But we believe that practiced in a different way, it can be a big part of the solution. And frankly, it, it's the only solution I see, uh, I don't see any other hope for our species, if you want to be that dramatic. But, uh, yeah, that's part of our motivation. So I have a question, and this goes back to a story core question. Because uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, um, given the context of that I've maintained the, some off-farm income and some health insurance, and there's a level of security there. And then there's also you know, our discussion about being bold and like how important it is that we do things pretty darn quickly in terms of changing our land management practices on the planet. So the question you asked me at StoryCorps, and the reason I'm thinking about all this is, well, how does it apply to me? Is you asked me like, when did I become a farmer? And I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't remember what I said, but I'm not sure what that actually means or looks like for me. And so and it would be interesting to hear from both Paul and Doug again. Like, when did you become a farmer? What was it that triggered to you to become a farmer? Yeah. Or a rancher. I mean, since we're here at Cabana. Yeah, right? but, sure. But to pursue that I'd life. I'd like to hear your answer first. I'll go first because it's simple. Uh, uh, at conception. <laughs> I mean, I've never been anything else, nor had any idea of being anything else. And I still don't. I guess um, that's a tough question to answer for me because I feel like I know precisely when I decided I wanted to become a farmer, which is a different thing than becoming one, I think, because Mm -hmm. the dream of something is not the achievement of it. Like I knew I wanted to become a farmer the moment I like spent three days straight pretty much. I mean, obviously I went to sleep, but pretty late (laughs) cultivating corn with a four row, uh, Williston cultivator at Warren Wilson college in the middle of the summer. And that was a big deal because not every student driving the tractor gets to do the cultivation job because you can pretty easily mess that up and start (laughs) wiping out corn, especially when you're talking about first time cultivation, right? Where you got these little tiny baby corns and the rows kind of hard to see. And they look a lot like all the weeds you're trying to pull up. And, um, anyways, that I had run a tractor enough times at that point that my supervisors felt confident in putting me on that machine. And that was a big challenge for me, not only because, um, it's hard to do just technically, but also it's a real slog. I mean, this is like middle of the summer, early summer. So not terrible, but early summer in Western North Carolina, it's like 120 degree, 120% humidity. So it's maybe 80 degrees, but it feels like 8,000. You're in the sun 
You're saying not an air conditioned cab. Yeah, no cab. There's not a cab. I'm sorry, <laughs> I should so clarify. Air no, cab. You're all over that. There's none of these high tech doohickeys they got on these. This is just a straight open platform John Deere tractor, and you're doing four rows at a time at a half a mile an hour. <laughs> Because <laughs> I literally can't drive any faster without messing up. These are like not flat ground. There's hills all over the place. You got to mess with implement drift and make sure you're keeping everything hunky dory. And then you just keep doing that back and forth and back and forth. And it wasn't even that many acres. I mean, like we could destroy that whole field with one piece of equipment in like 10 minutes of the size that it is. But um, I did that. And I went to sleep on the third day after finishing it, like so wiped out. But I have never felt more accomplished in my entire life, I don't think. Never have I felt so good about dedicating myself to something that was hard and challenging and was worth all the sweat and aggravation of it. But I did not sleep a wink because the whole time I was dreaming about friggin' cornrows. They were just like <laughs> passing me in my sleep, these long, endless rows of corn. And I was like, maybe I don't want to be a row cropper, but I definitely want to do this. <laughs> and that was when I wanted to be one, but I don't think I really became a farmer or a rancher, an agrarian, I like to say, until I experienced that again and again and again in many different formats, whether it's building fence or moving cows or you know, learning how to ride a horse, which was another great challenge for me, or, you know, cutting all of the hay fields on my own and fixing the, maintaining and fixing the equipment to do it at George and Julie's place. Just those instances where you really are pushed hard and you got to stretch yourself and you end up being capable of doing it. Those are the moments when I become an agrarian. Was there more to that question? I just got, <laughs> no, I just no, got really I deep just, into my memory and I kind of forgot where I was. I don't know if this has anything to do with this discussion, but what kept running through my head, you know, my father who introduced me to a lot of what, what I know and what I am now, uh, came out to help us on the farm in the, the early years, if you will, of our establishment. And Anna asked him one time, I forget how the well, question was Well, because he had retired, phrased. and he, after the farm was ceased to be, he started driving a truck, and he drove how many million miles? Three million. Three million miles, like, accident-free. And, like, to me, to have to spend all that, you know, being active, I have to spend all that time in a seat and the crappy food on the road. And the, <laughs> I just, I asked him, I'm like, how did you do that? And we had this joke, you know how we are on the farm, Paul, we just make up words. <laughs> so, so we had this joke about Saurus, because at the time we had a Jack Russell Terrier who would like really growl and like his mouth would look like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So like pretty much everything on the farm <laughs> started, in, started ending in Saurus, right? So so I asked Doug, Doug's dad, and I'm like, so Philly, how in the world did you do that? And of course, this is at dinner. We've had a really long day. We've probably got some sausages off the grill. And there's a little whiskey involved. <laughs> and he says, well, Anna, you got to understand. I was a boring asaurus. 
But we go back to like, well, how did you get to be a boring asaurus? Like, what caused you to be able to do that? So go ahead, Doug. Oh, okay. Uh, And he he related to us one of his formative experiences, which tied into yours. But he could remember cultivating corn on an eight-in Ford with a two-row. Oh dear Lord. Many years and many days each year, mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth, <laughs> and that was fun. Yeah, right. So, if you can cultivate corn with a small machine, then you might you might be a farmer. Yeah. So we had a really fun time at the end of that season for Christmas. We made a picture book with Doug's dad standing in his red, you know shirt underneath this big giant Montana sky and the title was boring. Asaurus goes to big sky. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, for anybody who might listen to this and have like a, just a really hard time relating to how that could <laughs> possibly be enjoyable. Just like think about if you've ever mowed a lawn or something and you spend all this time mowing this lawn and you know, when you like go over the lawn, maybe you don't, maybe nobody gets this except me and the small. Well, I grew up in Washington. I mowed a lot of lawns. So you mow a lawn and like you go over it and it's all long and it's, you know, coarse and that has its own beauty, but then you've cut it and it's smooth and it's level and you can see just exactly what you did the moment that you did it. And that's so accomplished. That's about like one of the few there's like small pieces, I think, of instant gratification in agriculture. Most of it is very much delayed gratification, but those small pieces of instant gratification are like that. So when you're cultivating corn, you've got this row that's full of weeds and it's a mottled color of soil. And then you run that those cultivators through the corn and you look behind you and there's these dark, deep lines of turned soil where the weeds have been killed in between each corn row. And man, that just feels good. You know what you did just the moment that you did it. Well, that takes like focus and meditation. And I guess the one other thing I'd say just for some of our listeners or people thinking they are going into ag, you know, we use tractors, we use big tractors, we use 40 and 60 foot implements on our operation. And it's fascinating to me how many of our new folks will get in a tractor. And the first question they'll ask is like, Oh, where's the radio? And then they'll put their earbuds in, (laughs) you know, or where do I plug it? And we have to explain to them like, no, 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 no. This is not like just going across the field and mindless activity. This is about like paying attention and looking at the land. And you essentially, you know, hoeing seems to be okay if you're out hoeing carrots in a vegetable production field, but to have a 60 foot or 40 foot implement that's actually an extension of yourself and like engaging with the soil, like that is a mm-hmm. totally different way to think of it. And so, um, I just appreciate your ability to think about that attentiveness. Totally. What is the job you're doing? You've got to tune up your senses to do it and you've, but tune other ones down, right? Like it can be a noisy job or a scary one for the scale of things. But at the same time, you've got to tune yourself to be really sensitive to small changes. That's one of those parts that to me for equipment operation is also intellectually stimulating, you know, because there's a million and one factors of engineering and leverage between the tractor seat and what's happening on the soil, on the soil surface or with the plant, whatever sort of task you're doing. And so you've got to really be tuned in and engaged with all of the things that are going on in order to understand what happens between the time you turn that little wheel and then whatever you're working on happens way back behind you in the field. That's, 
that can be really fun. If you doubt it, I can show you how it can be really fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if you, if you like cultivating, you're going to love speed tilling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll shift gears. We, we're really looking to you, Paul. There's three things that at least I have in mind. I mean, one is we're really excited about your um, interest and in, uh, commitment to learning about crop agriculture and about our farming system. So we never tire of teaching people, exposing people to that. Um, the other is you know, working with you and learning from you, I think, on uh, how to build this apprentice program out and, and into something more, I don't know if successful is the right word, but at least to get more people up there and, and committed to follow your lead and, and join our efforts. So we really look forward to that. And then thirdly, you know, from the beginning of our farm enterprise, we have had the idea that we could benefit and the land could benefit from the addition of some sort of a livestock enterprise. And you already have more experience in that arena than I do. And we're really excited about um, you know, really leaning on you to help us figure out how to diversify in that regard and to make higher and better use of the land we have and possibly be able to access more and different types of land to bring to the operation and put them to work through animal agriculture. So, you know, the, the, that's kind of my triumvirate of vision. And I, I think we've talked about this some um, through the interview process and all, but I, I am interested constantly in your reflection on those three areas or, or others that you see of what what you look forward to bringing to Felicas. Yeah. We, you know, like in, in the conference, uh, there's been a lot of allusion to the m metaphor they use or analogy. They use a lot with holistic management about the three legged mm -hmm. stool, right? Which everybody knows is the best way to build a stool. Um, so uh, it's funny that you also mentioned three things I've been having lots of thoughts about my future in partnership with you both and, you know, having you as mentors for my growth as a, a farmer and hopefully a business person also in that realm. Um, but also lots of visions about my growth as a mentor in turn and how those things can be partnered together. And, and then in addition to that, you know, so there's two legs of the stool we're talking about. And then in addition to that, my first interest in contacting you was that I had heard by word of mouth that you were interested in animals being on farmland. And I've been really interested in working with getting animals onto farmland because I think there's a real component we're missing there in a lot of cropland in the United States because we're, we've got a cropland that's addicted to outside inputs for fertility and, 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 herbicide and pesticide spray for the fact that we don't have any diversity and we've got weed problems and I know what eats weeds, livestock eat weeds. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, exactly. And uh, 
so that was like my first interest. And it's funny, like since getting to know you better and getting um, a contract set up and more prepared and detailed in our understanding of what my role is going to be, that one's almost falling down a little bit because I'm so excited about the other three, but I, you know, that's my passion in the same way. Cause I love working with livestock and having a relationship with animals. It's a really special privilege that I want to share with more people, you know, to have a relationship with animals that do work um, and work together with humans to make our planet better for the animals. We don't have any say in the wildlife and the microfauna and the microbiology within the soil. And yeah, I'm just so lucky that you guys are open to that. And also I think it's a prime example of how um, if we get creative and are willing to be generous with our time and share as Mm -hmm. agrarians, we can make a lot for a lot of people out of, or we can tap into what is already being made by the landscape we're on. Um, a lot for a lot of people in just small areas, you know, there's so much wealth that can be derived from the natural processes of the earth. And so just the opportunity to work with experts in farming and apply some of my very narrow expertise that I've gained in livestock and generate to the benefit of both of those parties, a living for a livelihood for multiple people, and then turn that into a model, hopefully that's replicable on a broader scale is man that really gets my brain going it's super, it's super yeah. exciting yeah we're just we're just excited to have your innovation and creativity and you know I, one thing i really appreciate about you is that you're not um you don't need a checklist because we don't have a checklist <laughs> so what we're gonna do and I mean, we don't have the recipe either so we're um you know with a bigger vision and a plan and then we make it up and make it happen. And we're psyched to have you help us make it up and make it happen together, Paul. So sure. it's not, not just intended to be, you know, come drive a tractor, but really bring your, you're bringing your brain and your heart and um, all your ideas. And I'm really looking forward to you holding us accountable to yeah. make sure we're working together on those things. You guys really have the mindset of experimenters too, and adventurers in a way, I think, which is, going to be beneficial. I don't know if you see yourselves that way or what your reaction might be to me saying that, but I see that you're not scared of trying things that are new and different. In fact, I think, Doug, you love to try things that are entirely <laughs> contrarian to what everybody else is doing. Yes. Well, what, uh, yeah, well, I think at least I and I think Anna, to some extent, we feel like what's normal is pretty screwed up. So... Difference got to be better. Mm-hmm. Just you got to pick the right difference. I wanted to circle back to let's talk about the livestock enterprise. Uh, kind of brought me back to the community we were talking about before, and we had a great discussion, or I did the other night with uh, one of your previous mentors, Julie, mm-hmm. and she's excited. At least I hope George is too about getting George up to our farm and your new farm yeah, to advise us and give us some tips on how to integrate livestock and specifically sheep, which he grew up doing, I understand. So that's another chance for us to use our connections. He likes to say that he was raised by a sheep. In fact. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> exactly. Sorry to interrupt you. No, for that. no, no that's, that's topical. 
Yeah, well, it's just going to be fun. Back to another adventure. We'll have to have uh, a Regeneration Rising interview us in another five years. (laughs) See where we're at. I like it could hopefully it'll be like risen or like regeneration yeah, uh, dominant or generation universal our vision for Valikas was 200,000 acres by 2027 right 50 employee stock owners so hey any of you out there excited call us up talk to Paul he's the first contact <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly you know, may I say something? <laughs> yes. But I just am getting into this about those three legs, and that there's this interesting thing I'm discovering at the conference, which I did not expect to. So there's Chris from Round River Resource Management, who I just mentioned, and then um, another woman I just met, Brittany, who is working with the um, Trout Stalker Ranch, which is in Chama, New Mexico, and she's ranch manager there, not the owner. Um, but she's also going younger person. I'm not sure of her age. I didn't ask like a polite person, um, <laughs> but uh, she um, she's going to be working as the head for their apprenticeship thing. Oh. Their first year with the NAP program. And we just happened to get together and sort of, I mentioned, you know, like it could be cool to have sort of a support and conversational group to talk about like this position of, sort of a middle management and also in charge of mentoring and apprenticeship and um, how we can support each other. And maybe if that's a position too, on a sort of a journeyman position, journey person position in the broader apprenticeship landscape, because I've been thinking that since I've come to Kavira, that that could be an interesting place to be. And it's just so exciting to come to the conference and find those sort of connections by happenstance and see where those can Yeah, it's kind of like this you. is the career path of an agrarian and we can't just stay at like come and work on a variety of operations. So there needs to be like a career path into that. So we you, should You have birthed a cohort. Doug and I have been doing this work not just in how we talk about regenerative econ- regenerative agricultural practices, but how we talk about regenerative economy. And an economy that's a give and take and an acknowledgement of that. So um, Braiding Sweetgrass was a book that really resonated for me on that. Could you give me an intro to what that book is about? Or oh, maybe Braiding Sweetgrass? So I may not get it all. It's uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer is the author. And um, she's a Native American. Uh, I think she teaches at Southern University of New York. I think she's in ecology. And um, it's a book, a story about herself and her growing up and um, helping um, a grad student do a research project on sweetgrass. Okay. With the overtone that sweetgrass is something that doesn't just grow out by itself. It needs interaction with humans. Yeah. So, you know, that interaction between a human and plant life and that, you know, sweetgrass needs to be harvested so there is always some give and some take it's an economy a gift economy of gratitude i Mm -hmm. think is how she talks about there's some fun parallels between that and the necessity of animal impact in grasslands Mm -hmm. totally Mm -hmm. i have a book recommendation that's pretty distantly not not really at all related to what we're talking about (laughs) but i was just reminded of it um by i think her name 
Her name was. Oh wait, I've got it on my on my tag. Who's got a tag? Oh. I was reminded of it by Jenny Stevens, who um works with an heirs property, like not for profit, trying to help people with heirs property, which you can look up what that means. But um, anyways, I read this book in college called The Land Was Ours, and it's about African-American landowners on the coastal properties of um, the southern United States who held all this land at, in the post-Civil War period and who slowly lost it by various means, many of them related to heirs' property. And it's by this author, Andrew W. Call, K-A-H-L, who's a professor at the University of Virginia in history. And I studied history in college and read it there. That's, none of that has very much at all to do with my agricultural career. But man, it's a good book. One that came to mind mostly because it was mentioned in the presentation earlier today was uh, Wendell Berry, who I do consider a mentor of mine, and his, his collection of short stories, actually. It's Unsettling of America that uh, aptly describes the condition we've gotten ourselves into and the contribution of agriculture to that societal ill. I think the motivation it gives me is... You know, my optimism and belief that by practicing agriculture differently, we can resettle rural America. And that's part of the larger vision we're about. Well, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention Lentil Underground by Liz Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to read about a bunch of crazy lentil farmers on the northern grapevines of Montana, check out yes, Everyone should read more lentils. Thanks for joining us for the inaugural episode of Regeneration Rising. If you enjoyed the show, sign up for our mailing list and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to check back in late January for our next episode. Bree Owens, owner of Cobblestone Ranch, will be chatting with her mentor, Wendell Gilgert, who directs the Working Lands Program at Point Blue Conservation Science. This podcast is produced by Ariel Bobbitt and Shauna Burhans and co-sponsored by Pasture Map, the Kavira Coalition, and the Grassfed Exchange. Music by Kevro. See you next time. Bye.